the churches of our day. They're on the table back there along with all my other books. If you want any of them, then you feel free to stop by there after church. And uh, as you're on your way to lunch or on your way after lunch, there is a suggested price list there. Find something you want, get the book, put the money in the jug. Find something you don't want, put the money in the jug. Walk on off. <laughs> and keep your mouth shut. No, amen. But anyway, good to be saved. Good to be born again. I appreciate the Lord. I start to say go by and look at these other men's display, then come over at mine and buy something. But uh, I don't want to be rude to them. But anyway, good to be here. I appreciate all three, I mean both messages already. I appreciate Brother Grant bringing that second message. Are you picking up where I'm going? I appreciate the first message. No minimizing yours at all. You know, if you have a problem with standards, find a log truck driver and just ask him the simple question, why do you have standards? You know what you're saying? I don't want to lose my cargo. Them standards are not to keep others from getting in. They're to keep from losing what we got. You got me fired up on more statement than I'm going to preach. I like wearing a suit and tie. I remember when I didn't have one. I remember Sister Cave when I had one. My mama bought me my first suit to graduate in, and that was the first suit I had, only suit I had when I started preaching. After I went to preaching, fellas, I'm not being critical. I want you to. I worked on the job, and I couldn't wear a suit, Brother Lanny, for a number of years, and I wept and prayed, Lord, let the day come when I could dress like a preacher, look like a preacher. And live like a preacher in the sense of the ministry of God. I don't care what you said. Don't bother me. It's not already been said a couple of times, so don't bother me what you say. But I'm glad I'm a preacher, and I don't want to lose my identity of an old-fashioned. I was in a meeting the other day. Well, it's been more than the other day. I'm telling you, there were some fellas in the ministry looked like they'd got caught in a weed eater. And it quit running, left them all knotted up, you know, all fuzzed up, all that stuff. And I made this commitment, I make it to you today. I don't care, as long as I keep my right mind, when you see me in church, I could run in like you said, get caught in the situations you said. But my hair will be combed, as long as I got any. I'll be dressed like a man of God. My face will be shamed. I'm not throwing at anybody. I'm just saying to you, as a young preacher, I looked at her husband. I looked at Brother Ed Blue. I looked at Brother Ray Lindsay. And I looked at a lot of those fellows. Oh, Brother Ray, you know, just went to be the Lord last week. And God let me look in them and see an image of a man of God. I don't dress like, I dress for style. I don't dress for style no way. I got an image. I want you to know what to expect when you see me the next time. Amen. If that bothers you, the altar's open. And the offering plate's laying up here too, so one of them I'll take care of you.
James chapter number one. I got to preach. I don't know why I'm up here before lunch, but anyway, James chapter number one, verse number one. The Bible said James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. How in the world can we do that? Look at verse three. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraid up not, that shall be given him. Jump down to verse number 13. The Bible said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Keep your Bible open. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a moment of prayer. Then the message for this time from the Word of God. Our precious Heavenly Father, again, the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come before you in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you once again for the opportunity that's mine to gather with your people in the house of God, to enjoy the great fellowship, the wonderful singing, the good preaching, and, Lord, to look forward to what you've got prepared for us throughout the days of this week. Fathers, I come here this morning. I realize, dear Lord, you're a God of all of us. Lord, and you see every individual, and you know their needs. Father, this very moment. Lord, I pray today that you will help us to not focus our attention so much in this hour on anyone else but ourselves. Do that you want to do. Do that that needs to be done. Lord, my prayer is that you will help me to help your people with the Word of God. I'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. In John chapter 16, verse number 13, our Lord said, In this world ye shall have tribulation. But it goes on to say, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Before I preach this morning, I want to ask a question for everybody in here. Have you had any problems lately? Nobody got any. <laughs> or maybe that's what they're laughing about. I really feel, and I'm going to be serious from here, I really feel like God wants me to preach. I did not have an outline. I scribbled down some notes back there a minute ago, a few minutes ago. But I'm going to preach this morning on why God's people suffer. Amen. Can I say it another way? Why do what looks to be bad things happen to good people. Yes. Brother Allen and I said we're driving down the road one day over near Birmingham going to a meeting. We were conversing about a family in our church who had just discovered the dreaded disease of leukemia in one of their children. 
And through the process of the conversation, Brother Allen said to me, You know, preacher, it seems like sometimes the best people suffer the most. I'm out of the affirmative, probably giving up, huh? And we rode on a little while in silence. And then I interrupted the silence. I said, Brother Allen, do you reckon it might be the best people suffering the most? Or could it be the suffering of the most produced the best people? He said, you probably got something there, preacher. Can I assure you today, if you're saved, and if anybody's got a wagon load I have right now, but if you're saved, there is no such thing as an accident coming to your life. Nothing can come on your scene except he who loves you that passed through his hands and has his approval for it to attack your life or do in your life something to the glory of God. I want to assure you, God is not out to destroy us. He's out to develop us. God's not wanting to hurt us. God wants to help us. And though you shed tears last night or maybe this morning, and we'll shed them again, I'm saying to you, God is working through tears and through trials and tribulations, not for our bad, but for our good. I know sometimes it's hard to see the through the cloud. Get on those planes quite often and everything looks so cloudy and dreary and dark. And boy, you go, how can we get through that? I want to tell you, after a while, thank God you rise above them and look down and they're white on the other side. But I want to come really to the me, the message, and I spend a lot of time introducing this morning. But I want to make this statement. Please hear this. This is a vital part of the message. When trouble comes, the first thing we ought to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and examine our lives and make sure we're not suffering because, and I use the word transgression, sin anyway. May I say to you, sometimes trouble is a wake-up call. In the hustle and bustle of our life, we become insensitive to God, and we also become unaware of the fact that the world, the flesh, and the devil is easing in on us and starting something that our life that may be small in the beginning, but have a large ending. Check it out with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. Is there anything wrong in my life? Now, I've been preaching this for years, and I'm going to say it again. I am convinced, really, most Baptists could not get right in one trip to the altar. Watch me a moment. Dealing with sin is like going outside somewhere where there's been an old building torn down and there are a bunch of old planks, and you say, boy, there's one more there, and you pick it up. What's that I see there? When you uncover one sin and confess it, you're probably going to find another. You say, well, how far do I dig till you hit the bottom? You can get it all out. But I challenge you, first of all, make sure there is no sin hid in your life. Or no sin covered in your life. But what if we check our life? 
You sit in this congregation, and I'm sure there's plenty up here, preacher. They can say, preacher, as far as I know, there's nothing wrong in my life between me and God. Why are these things happening to me? Now, this is the focus of my message right here. I want to quickly give you four or five things, and I'll be through. Number one, I want you to look at your Bible. First of all, in verse number 13, 14, and 15, I want to say to you that God allows saved people to suffer temptations. You did hear what I said. I didn't say the devil to blame for all of them. God allows temptations to come into our life. Now, I hope you'll stay with me because I'm going to look maybe at a different angle. Temptations are not bad if we don't respond bad to them. Temptations are God's method of alarming us, awakening us. I don't want to ask anybody to personally answer this question because I know the truth. I have caught myself, preacher, sitting in church, enjoying the service. Why was sitting before I know it? Thoughts entered into my mind that I hope and pray never come to fruition. Why, do God, why does God allow us to suffer temptation? Notice in your Bible, if you will, but I want you to notice in verse number 14. First of all, there is a surety of temptation. But every man, Brother Bell, I'm not in the habit of changing the Word of God, but I want to make sure that's not everybody understands. That's not just male or gender. It's our word for individual, a word for person. Can I use a good Georgia word? Everybody! There's not a man, woman, living in this, or sitting in this building today, boy or girl, that you have not changed on you, but what you not have are and shall suffer temptation to commit sin. Why does God let it happen to us? Write it down. I'm going to deal with it. God allows us to have these temptations come to us to deliver us from confidence in self. That's right. One of the most dangerous things there is to a child of God is self-confidence. Yes, sir. We have no greater example that I can think of right now, and we need no greater example than look at our dear friend, Simon Peter. When our Lord spoke to him about the cock crowing. And I jest to this, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but Peter said, Lord, these guys might, but not me. I want to tell you something. When you balk against God, you back up against God, and you make God's word out not to be true, God has no alternative but to let you have a living experience of learning what it is to be tempted. You are tempted, you have been, you will be. And by the way, it's not a sin to be tempted, it's a sign we're living, but the sin comes when we do not deal with that temptation in the proper manner. I know the Word of God said that shall not overcome you a temptation uh, which you're not able to bear. But we're without a temptation. God will make a way of escape. He makes a way, but He doesn't tie us and drag us out through the way. That's right. He opens the door. we got to walk through it ourselves. Right. 
There is the surety. Every person is tempted. Number two, I want you to notice there's not only that, that verse of surety, but there's also the source of our temptation. Every man is tempted when he is two things. One externally, one internally. He's drawn away and enticed. Now, it's my own personal thinking. The enticing comes from within. And that's by far our greatest temptation. You see, the enticement comes to the outside. We want to blame a picture. We don't blame something somebody else has done. Boy, if, and I paid people on the dress right. But boy, if I wouldn't have that temptation if she had dressed right. She has some responsibility. But it's not her dress that it's your, more, your major problem. It's down in bread in this flesh of ours is a seed of temptation that runs from the first Adam to the last one of his last children. And we must recognize God allows temptation to come to show us, first of all, to deliver us from confidence in self. He shows us a surety. He shows us a source of it. But thirdly, He shows us the strength of temptation. The wages. Well, let me get my verse here. Verse 15. And sin when it's finished. I'm not going right yet. Then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. I want to make this, and Brother Gravely, I raise both hands today and testify. It's the grace of God that I'm still in the ministry. I was in a meeting with a pastor several years ago, and somebody had fallen in that particular time, and, and we were talking about it going down the road, and I said, I can't hardly believe it. He said back to me, he said, Preacher, you know what's even harder to believe? And I said, what? He said, me and you still standing. There's not a person in here, preacher, male or female, but what has not been plagued with temptation through your life if you are a normal, red-blooded human being. But the problem is, if you do not deal with that temptation, then it comes lust, and then lust, will bring, when it's finished, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The thing that brings death out of temptation is not doing anything about it, but taking pride and feeling like, I'll be all right, I can handle that. Remind you, sin got the first man, Adam. Sin got the strongest man, Samson. Sin got the wisest man, Solomon. And sin got the closest man, David, the man after God's own heart. For one reason, Rome responding to temptation. It's more dangerous than fire. You can't handle it. Don't play with it. But God allows it to come. I know all you men have done this, and I'm not just putting myself above you. 
But man, there have been plenty of times I fell out before God somewhere and said, Oh, God, please don't let me fall in this. Don't let me yeah, fall in this. Lord, help me to get out of this. Get my mind out of it. Get my thoughts out of it. Help me to get my desires off of it. Hey, the answer is not let temptation just lead on and lead on. But the answer is to bow before the God that's able to give victory over temptation and let you learn from that lesson and make you a better person for the glory of God. I move number two. Not only... God allows us to suffer temptation. I need to say this again. God allows us to suffer temptation to destroy confidence in himself. Amen. Amen. You say, Brother Blue, why does this keep coming up? You really want me to answer it? Because it's still there. Hmm. It's not there, it can't come up. But in reality, but see, God allows a repetition of them temptations. To make us aware. I'm glad I've got a wife that said to me many times in all these years, you better watch that woman. Amen. Yes, women seem like they've got a six percent, what is it, six cents? Better watch that couple. I'm glad for that. I don't want to ignore what she says. I respect her that much. I want to tell you, nobody may not, may not know what's going on in your mind. Nobody may not be going to know what's going on in your thought life. But if the Holy Ghost allows it to keep coming up, you'll either deal with it or it'll deal with you. You'll get it out by the grace of God, overcome it, or it will get you out and overcome you. Now, number two, I've got to move. Not only in these verses does the Lord allow us to suffer temptation, which is a solicitation to commit evil, and He allows us to suffer that to deliver us from confidence in Himself, but second, in the first part of these verses, God allows us to suffer trials or testing. The temptation is an enticement to commit sin or solicitation to do evil, but the testing and trial is a testing of our faith. Now you say, what's the difference? And preacher, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I'll go all the way through it, but I just want to deal with this one again. Testing of faith. You see, temptation, are you ready me to say this? Comes from the devil. It's to bring out the bad in you and ultimately destroy you. But a trial comes from God. It's to bring out the best in us. And its purpose is not destruction, but its purpose is development. A faith that cannot be tested, trusted, cannot be. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Now, I want you to look at verse number two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. And you know the word temptation and testing are used interchangeably, but the text always reveals which one it is. Right, but Ed Blue said, verse number two, my brethren, can't all joy when you fall into diver temptation. Meant when you saw trouble come, you're supposed to say, Wow, trouble again. <laughs> then old brother Ed said, I gotta come in. I've never arrived at it yet. And I raised my hand and say, I'm not either. My words are not my words are oh no, not again. But the reason is we don't understand verses three, four, and five. See, we who are saved by the grace of God can know some things. 
Look at verse number two in the Genesis three. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation. Knowing this, you see, what we know about temptation will help us to not just endure it, but endure it and enjoy it because we know God's doing something and the ultimate end result is not only for our destruction, but for our development. You said, preacher, what would trials do? Well, look at verse number three. The Bible said, knowing this, that the child of your faith worketh patience. Got a question, Brother Dorsey? That means anybody in this building needs any patience today. I'm not pointing just him out. I'm pointing anybody in here out. Amen. You heard about the fellow praying and said, Oh, God, I need patience right now, God. But if you don't give me patience, I'm going to. Now, watch me just a moment. The real word patience is not exactly what we think it is in our conversational English. It's not just the ability to somehow piddle paddle through and endure and hope for the other end. The word patience carries with it the word endurance, but it also carries with it the ability to stand up under. Can I use another expression? The ability not to lose it when things are not going well. You don't gain patience by Jubilee, count meeting, shouting it out every service. And I love count meeting, you know that. Amen. It doesn't come that way. I like it. That's good lubrication for our salvation. But I'm telling you, patience does not come through easy times. Number three, number two, look at this. Not only it will, it will develop your it'll develop your patience, but second, it'll develop your perfection. Verse number four. Knowing this at the trial of your faith. Work of patience, but let patience have her perfect work, her complete, her mature work. Can I just say this? I've got to move. Let me make this thing. I think most of you will identify what I'm fixing to say. Brother Gravely, drop your name. I ain't I speaking to you. I'm right now on this. I'm speaking to everybody. How many parents we got in here? Raise your hand. You're a parent. All right, you ought to understand what I'm saying. Spiritually, a children, a child of God with no, with no trials will be like a child with no discipline. Amen. There is a child, there's a word we call children that don't have discipline. Now can I say it? Spoil brats. I'm not being crude. I'm just saying we all understand that. And if God gave me everything I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, like I wanted, I would become a spiritually spoiled brat and wouldn't be worth anything. But God allows this working of trials in my heart to develop my patience and to develop my perfection, make me mature as I ought to be. The glory of God. Number three. Look at verse number four, verse number five. Not only our Trials develop our patience, develop our perfection, but they develop our praying. I could spend an hour here. I'm just going to be a couple of moments. I think most of you would acknowledge with me 
You don't pray when things are going well like you pray when things are not going well. Most of you know the situation with our daughter, Rachel. And I tell you, preacher, there have been a lot of lonely nights in a motel room. If I didn't have nothing else to prompt me to pray for, the remembering of how sick my girl is. Can't sleep. Can't eat. And I tell you something, I don't have to have an alarm clock to wake me up at the midnight hour to pray over her. Other things are developed, many things in our life. You can name your own thing, and I'm not exalting mine above yours. I want to tell you what this means. Look at verse number four, five. He said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth it not, it shall be given him. Now look at me just a moment. I don't want to be crude, rude, but I do want to be plain. That is not saying, if you're a dummy, pray for wisdom. God gives it. I hope my words are not too strong. That's not saying to me, you or anybody else, even in our younger years or in our older years, older years, God, give me wisdom. And God's going to drop a bucket of wisdom from heaven. The word wisdom here is dealing with our praying. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But it's in that time of praying. And I want to say this. I, I feel like I'm missing a jubilee shout out here, but I, it'll help you later. I am convinced, Pastor, every person, whether preacher or not, that's ever effectually used for God will be brought to themselves till they don't know how to pray about a situation they're dealing with. Amen. Many of you could testify to that. Lord, I don't know what to say. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, it's beyond me. And I want to fall helpless at the altar of God and say, Oh, God, I can't handle that. Hey, God's waiting on us to realize there's an end to ourselves. And when we reach our end, we come to a place of letting God take over and God develops our praying that's way beyond the wisdom. Turn in your Bible to chapter number 12 of the book of 2 Corinthians. Number 3. Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's not as late as I thought it was. Second Corinthians chapter number 12. There's a third thing that we suffer as Christians. We suffer temptation to deliver us from confidence in self. We suffer trials to develop us for Christian service. Here's one that we don't like. Second Corinthians chapter 12, those first 10 verses. We suffer thorns. And we suffer thorns. Again, not to just inflict pain. But to demonstrate to us Christ's sufficiency. 
I'm not trying to quiet anybody. Shout. Shout while you can. Keep on shouting. But I want to tell you something. God will let something come into your life where you'll get to the end of yourself, as I said, and have to go beyond yourself. Somebody has said, Christ is not all you need till he's all you have. As long as there's human hope for us to hang on to, we'll grab it. But that that's beyond us, he steps in. And helps us with. I love this. Look quickly at verse number 7. Here you have the purpose of the thorn revealed. Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, that lest I should be, that it, that it might but to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. It's a new verse. I don't know if you notice that. Brother Brown, that verse starts and ends with the same phrase. I wonder why God pulled a double whammer on that statement. I'm preaching to me now, lest I should be exalted above measure. God knows how to create in you a depreciation of the value and esteem you have of yourself. Amen. And to keep you from getting exalted, God will just pop a thorn in you. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Nearly 57 years I've been preaching. I, I can't count the time. Boy, I'm telling you, I got the sword pretty good, and all of a sudden, wham, a thorn hit me, and I got deflated over a few moments' time. I thought I'm doing pretty good, and here it comes again. God hates pride, and God said to keep us from being full of pride. God puts a thorn in our life. A messenger of Satan to buffet us. Now, don't waste my time at lunch asking me what that thorn was. I'm going to tell you now, I don't know. I do not believe it is a literal tricky thorn off of a bush. Everybody with me on that? I don't believe what. I'll deal with that in my mind. Look at this. Not, not only is there a purpose of the thorn revealed, but there's a prayer for the thorn's removal. Can you believe, preacher? God, Paul prayed three times. Paul prayed three times. Paul prayed three times. I don't know how he prayed, but Brother Gravity, i got to think about me. You know, I say, Lord, I need you to move this thorn. Yet nothing happens. Oh, Lord, you know now this is him to work. I need you to move this thorn. Nothing happens when I get it. Oh, God, you've you got to move this thorn. But Paul prayed three times for the removal of the thorn, and God wouldn't do what he asked him to do. God said, I don't want to remove the thorn. I want you to learn a lesson. How to live with the thorn. Join me, Brother Brown, if you would. Please lay your Bible aside just a moment. Join me. Let me borrow your left hand here, this hand, right hand, right hand. I'm sorry. Turn it palm up. Now, we already agreed it's not a literal form. All right, everybody with me? But I want to act as though it is for a moment for an illustration. And Paul's got this thorn in his hand there. 
He's prayed three times, oh God, please remove this thorn. God said, Paul, I won't remove the thorn. I'm turning around where everybody can see me. I won't remove the thorn. I'll tell you what I'll do, Paul. I'll take your hand in mine. I, you do figure out that's got to be pretty close to hands. I will dip this right hand in the bottom of Gideon. And I'll take that bottom of Gideon and I'll just rub it around over that thorn. And I'll talk to you and you and I'll have such fellowship. You'll say, I'd rather have the thorn and have him than not have a thorn and not have him. I tell you, God can change thorns into triumphs. God can change thorns into victories. It's not the end of it. There is grace sufficient. And the only way it'll ever be demonstrated is for God to have a thorn in our hand. I have not been through what a lot of people have been through. But I don't know how many people have testified to me. Brother Blue, to see you stand up under that load and keep on going. You see, you carry that. I'm not bragging. I don't feel like I'm doing nothing but enjoying the trip. Amen. Paul said, I'm, would you move that? God said, I won't remove it. I'll just take your hand in mine and I'll rub that bomb of, that bomb of gillet over it. So you'd rather have the thorn. And have God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Let me mention these last two and I've got to close. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 28. I've got a confession to make when you get there. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good them that love God. Them are the call according to His purpose. Brother Bell, you're getting on up towards my age. You're not a young kid anymore. Just looking around some others in here, the same age group. You know what I discovered? You young preachers, listen to this. Brother Bradley, Romans 8, 28 is the best answer in the Bible if you've got a problem. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's my problem, forgive me sometimes, it seems rather hollow. I've got an answer. I don't care what your problem is. Romans 8, 28. As long as it's your problem. But when it parks over at 179 Promised Land Drive, it's like a Georgia 30735. Does that really mean what it says? Now, Romans 8, 28, we learn that God allows us to suffer to display his similarity to us. You know, one of the blessings about being God's people, we're all individuals. You're, you're Brother Eric Brown, you're Brother Larry Brown. I couldn't jump around like he does. I can't preach like you can preach. I can't testify like, hey, am I right, Brother Morgan? I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't be like Brother Steve Goldsby. Getting in trouble. But you know what the good part is? God don't want me to be like you. God don't want me to be like you. David, God don't want me to be like you. God gets no delight out of looking down and seeing. And I know you got JP back there. I'm not talking about him, but you got. God don't look down to seeing Stinnett Blue Juniors and John Morgan Juniors in the ministry. But Randy, you've had a lot of picture boys, and some of them have your some of your imitation. They'll do it. It's just natural, but that's not what God's looking for. 
If you're trying to be like Brother Gravely, forget it. He is so original, anybody acting like him is sickening. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I didn't learn this. When you see two people alike, one of them's an imitator. Because God don't have a duplicator, he's an originator. Now, <laughs> forgive that little side step a moment. I want you to notice in verse number 28. The Bible said, In all things work together for good and love the Lord. I want you to notice in those two words, all things, if you're making notes, I'm calling them those puzzling incidents. You can't figure out why they happen, how they happen, a thousand ways they should not have happened. You can't figure them out. Let me make one country illustration you'll understand. Did you ever hear anybody say, it's just one of those things? You know what one of those things are? It's something you can't explain. It didn't have to happen. I don't know why it did happen. I could figure out a thousand ways I could tell God to keep it from happening. But, where did that come from, Brother Brown? Romans 8, 28. One of those puzzling things. Now, why do we have these puzzling things? Number two, I want you to notice in verse number 29, there is a predestined image. The Bible said in verse number 29, for whom he did predestinate, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, watch this, not to be saved, has nothing to do with that, but to be conformed to the image of of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many nations. Now, Brother Gravely, there's one person it's all right for you to act like. Look like. Be like. That's him. Christ. Amen. Neighbors, when I grew up on the farm, maybe five, they may live three mile, four mile away, Brother Gravely. I'm telling you, they, they, had, they had nine or ten boys and then finally had a girl. But them boys was about a year, year and a half apart. And Brother, Brother David, they looked like, we used to call them stair steps. And some of them boys looked like mama. And some of them looked like daddy. But if you knew mama and daddy, when you saw one of them, their last name was Swallows. That's one of them Swallows boys. You may not know where it's Gene or Jay or Edgar. Or, I don't know how to remember all them names, but... One of them sliders, boys. You know what God wants? God wants that world. <laughs> and say, that's one of them say boys. That's one of them Jesus boys. That's one of them Christians. I'm telling you, God said, I'm going to work on you how long until I can look over heaven and see me in you. The image here is pictured by a refining fire. Now, if you and I were developing this today, it has about it the same thing as a rubber stamp or the same thing even as a mirror image. You know, you look in the mirror and you're going to see yes. Ricky Gravely. I don't mean disrespect to say that. But in the Bible days, they didn't use mirrors for it. 
They brought out that silver ore, ore, had a big old pen. They put it under it and built a fire, put it in it and put a fire under it. And as that fire got hot, the ore boiled and the dross came to the top. They let it cool down and that dross just, if I could use a country word, just formed a skim over the top of it. They had a particular brush, Brother Morgan, they'd take that brush and Drag that off down the little down chute. They'd build it again. Another fire. Psalms 9 said it took seven fires. They didn't count times. You know what they did? He got a few of them done. And he'd, he'd build a fire in that thing and he'd look over it like this and see if he could see himself. And that silver. Did you ever stand beside a, a, a lake of water, pond of water, and look and you see your own reflection down and look down in it? You can look toward the other side, and there's the trees from the other side laying halfway across the river. God, shall I tell you how long you're going to have to suffer these puzzling incidents, these things? Amen. I'm not, I'm not delighting to say this, but I've got to be honest with you. God said, I'm going to build a fire under you, boil a draw shot, rake it off. Until I can look down from heaven, the Lord said, and see myself in you. Brother Rolf went to jail. I was with Dr. David Gibbs in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1976 when he went to jail. Brother Gibbs come to that meeting that morning and he said, Talk to Brother Roloff while I'll go and you'll never guess what he said. Of course, you know, preachers, what? He said, Brother Gibbs. Pray God will build another fire under me. I think there's still some more dross on me. I never asked God to build no fires. I want to put out a few, but I'm not the man of God he was. But listen to me. God has no way of displaying himself to the world. But by you and I that are saved for the grace of God. When the world sees me, when the world sees you, when the world sees you, if they don't see God, they're not going to find him nowhere else. So God said, I'm going to work on you with these puzzling incidents until you come to that predestined image where I can see myself in you and the world can see himself in you. John number 16 and I'm through. I'll be brief on this one. Thank you for patience to stay with me. John 16, verse number 33. I give you this to repeat while you're turning. Uh, God allows us to suffer temptations to deliver us from confidence in self. He allows us to suffer trials to develop us for Christian service. He allows us to suffer the thorn to demonstrate Christ's sufficiency. He allows us to display. Uh, he allows us to suffer the, the thing, uh, the puzzling things or things that display through us a Christ similarity. But finally, He allows us to suffer tribulation. John said in this world, you shall, Jesus said, and in this world you shall have tribulation. And you men probably know this already, but if you go home and look up that word tribulation, it's probably rendered, I didn't count them, but maybe eight, maybe even ten different words in our King James English Bible. Got a lot of meanings to it. It's one of those words that's hard to describe as somebody said earlier in one word. But one of them's all I'm going to deal with. One of the words for tribulation is our word pressures. In this world, ye shall have pressure. 
Is there anybody in here under any pressure? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm going to just give you this illustration. I think it'll compensate what I want to say. Now, we're a bunch of country hicks in here, so don't act like somebody's not a country hick in here. Anybody here ever tried to drive a cow down through the pasture or down across the field? Brother Chris, you, Brother Chris half raised his hand. I believe he's ashamed of it. You look like a cow driver. <laughs> Amen. I'll drop that right there. Now, Brother Morgan, if I I got to do this, y'all. Brother Lanny, if that were a little lane down there, two pasture fences and the cows out yonder, I get them in that lane, I come down through here, and boy, this is a stable up here. I got them coming right in. They're going, man, look at that. They're coming right up here. But all of a sudden, they hit that open space. There's no fence on that side. What's that cow going to do? Going to dart out that way and take back around another lap, and I got to go back and start all over again. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? As a Christian, Brother Gravely, God, if he just put one pressure on us, tried to push us straight on, the first time we got a chance, we'd kick out the side. Yes. But the picture I got of this, Brother Brown, it's kind of like I could use a horseshoe. God just wraps trials, tribulation all around us. Until there's no way to go but to come through the gate. And the gates I'm using here is Christ's side. All those things you thought was going to kill you, all them pressures, why are they there? Well, they're not there so you can blow off steam. They're not there so you can say the wrong words. They're not there so you can show yourself. But they're there to let you just fall into the arms of Jesus and find the comfort and consolation that you.